Good Vibes Cinema presents Vibe Talking. Alright, hey everybody, welcome back to Vibe Talking, a podcast about films with off-the-charts vibes, films from the golden age of adult cinema. I am Vic Terry, executive producer of Good Vibes Cinema, and I am joined here by Vibe Talking co-creator Manny V. Hey, it is award season. Yes, it is. This is a very special episode of Vibe Talking. This is our grand finale. It is the end of an era. We got a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon, and it's kind of time to shift gears. So we're going to be spending this evening looking back at some of the amazing films that we have covered, awesome films that we've watched, great engaging discussions that we've had, and give some shout outs to the amazing artists and performers who brought to life all of these awesome films. This show's been anything. It's been a celebration of just a period of time in cinema and a specific uh, subgenre that has been, for the most part, kind of overlooked and forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has been one way of sort of preserving it and bringing it to life and also just trying to give a little bit of love to the uh, performers and creatives who were responsible for a lot of this. Um, so they're going to get some awards, uh, sadly for a lot of them posthumously, <laughs> but doing our best to, uh, to honor some people that in the end inspired us and a lot of other people and their works definitely deserve to be recognized. Totally. All right. Shall we go into our first category here? Yeah. Why don't we give a rundown of all of the categories that we have so okay. people kind of know what to expect and then we'll just go through them. There won't be any speeches except by us, so don't have to worry about anybody getting played off the stage. Um, There won't be any actor-on-actor violence, hopefully, um, unlike the Oscars. So we've got that going for us. But do you want me to run down the categories? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So we're going to start off with uh, Best Soundtrack, Best Original Song, Best Production Design, Best Cinematography, Best Screenplay, Best Story... We're also going to somewhat controversially discuss the worst screenplay and the worst story, but I think that's about as negative as we'll get. Uh, We'll go right into best actor comedic, best actress comedic, and then same thing, actor and actress uh, dramatic. We'll nominate our best director, and then finally our best picture. Best picture is so hard because I feel like so many of these films, like almost you can't even compare them. Yeah. You know, some of this stuff is super funny, some of it's super dark, some of it's just super bizarre, and like all of those types of films can be amazing. It's, yeah. It really depends on what vibe are you in that day as to what you want to watch, you know? Yeah, I mean, because it can change on you, like depending on the mood you're in, or sometimes even like, what did you most recently see? Like, what is mm-hmm. like sticking with you? Yeah. But, uh, you know, we put this responsibility on our shoulders, and it's up to us to uh, to come through for our audience. Also very open to hearing uh, conflicting opinions as well. Yeah. How do people reach out to us? We have our Instagram, VibeTalkin, no G, and our email, VibeTalkin at gmail.com. Yep. The G is in Gmail, not in talking. There's also a Twitter X, uh, VibeTalkin as well. We are on Threads and on Letterboxd, so uh, look for some reviews on that. And then there's the Good Vibe Cinema YouTube page, which has a ton of content on it, not just Vibe Talking, but other Good Vibe Cinema 
uh, content on there to check out as well. So yeah, some of the shows that we've done, some of the Super 8 films that we've done, that's all on there. And the Good Vibe Cinema Instagram, definitely be following that because that's going to keep you posted on all of the upcoming projects this year. And we have a lot going on this year. We literally made a calendar the other day and we were filming something every single month of 2024. So that's, that's going to be big. <laughs> That's intense. All right. Yeah. Stick around for all of that. But for now, uh, let's get into the awards. So our very first category is Best Soundtrack. Overall, there was a lot of strong contenders for this. Mm -hmm. And this is an interesting one. Like I had seen this, well, this isn't even one of our categories, but I had seen somebody talking about like editing and like how a truly good editor, you're not even aware of the editing that's being done. So a lot of times films that win that category are more just like more flashy editing as opposed to like quote unquote good um so that's something I, i'm bringing that up because of these soundtracks like a lot of these that i'm going to be giving honorable mention to um are really more of just a moody atmosphere that actually adds a lot to the film, but because you're so immersed in the film, you're not even necessarily actively thinking about the music. You know, yeah. some of it is more ambiance than like songs per se. But even despite me saying that, I have to give it to the flashiest soundtrack. <laughs> um, old news for anyone who's listened to any episode of Five Talking Ever or had one conversation with me in a bar, the best soundtrack of all time is the Deep Throat soundtrack. But actually, my Deep Throat soundtrack, vinyl, and Spotify playlist are both a combination of the first and second film. And as ridiculous as the second film is, the original songs made for that second movie are honestly kind of better than the songs in the first movie. As amazing as the first movie is, and the whole thing together is bomb. But the best original song is She's Got to Have It from the trailer to Deep Throat 2. I literally listen to that song every time I'm getting ready to go do something important. Yeah. Going to a job interview, going on a date, going on an important meeting, like all of it. That song playing to get me psyched up. It's an awesome song. Yeah, it's got that vibe to it. Like um, that, that getting ready, going out, like the start of like some sort of an adventure. Because the way it like layers and builds as it goes along through the song, mm -hmm. that's, that's really cool and interesting. I cheated on this. So we have a couple of non-pornographic uh, movies that, that we covered, and we were excluding those from the overall discussion. But when wow. it came to soundtrack, <laughs> I could not overlook the greatness of Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah, that's an amazing uh, soundtrack. Because I, I said on the episode, like, when we recorded it, I had every song that was featured in the soundtrack except for one, and since then I've gone and tracked down that song and added it to my digital library. Nice. Um, it's a fantastic soundtrack. It is. For my best original song, I went with Sometime Sweet Susan from the movie The Same Name, because I remember like listening to it while I was watching the movie, and it was one of the things that stuck with me the most from that movie. Mm -hmm. Overall, like... Not the greatest movie that we watched, but that song did stick with me. It was a thoroughly good song. Plus, I thought it was interesting that the lead actress in that movie, who was just a one and done, also provided vocals for that, and I thought it made it interesting. I did give an honorable mention, though, to Disco Lady, because that song yes, is a fucking earworm. I love that song. That is also on the trailer of Disco Lady, so if you could track down that. 
uh, you can hear the song or yeah. watch the movie. You know, if you uh, if you really want to go there, um, or listen to our episode, and that song is featured prominently oh, in the episode. Yes. yes, good call. I think also it would be cool to give a shout out to uh, Touch Me and Bijou. I feel like both of those more kind of dramatic films having the heavy trippy background music definitely elevated the mood yeah yeah and we're gonna we're gonna get uh there's a little teaser because we're gonna definitely get into bijou it's gonna come up mm-hmm. um in this awards discussion but also boys in the sand i remember that soundtrack is just kind of it fits so well with just kind of the the whole ambiance mm-hmm. of the movie and, and like what you were saying with editing it should be something that like enhances everything to the point to where you don't even notice it like it's done so well it's just like seamless and I feel like a soundtrack same thing it, it's not until you hear the songs out of the context of the movie that like suddenly you're like oh it's giving me flashbacks to watching this I don't know if that happens with you when you listen to um, she's got to have it or if you've created I'm, so many memories. Yeah, I have my it. own memories that okay. are better than that film. So yeah. <laughs> I do not think about when, it. When I, when I hear She's Got to Have It, like I I picture like a lot of our little uh, video and photo shoots that we did. Yeah. And we use that as like a backing track to yeah. it. Yeah. You know what though? The trailer to Deep Throat 2 is actually kind of dope. It looks yeah. like it would be a good movie. At least Sadly, it did something it kind of right. Yeah. That's a category we don't have, but best trailer. I mean, that is a contender. <laughs> best trailer. All right. I guess I guess uh, the default winner for that is going to be Deep Throat 2. Because I'm trying to think of like, was there another trailer that I watched? Dude, a lot of the trailers for these are just straight up not good at all. Like, it'll just be a random scene from a movie or it'll just yeah. be like, sometimes Sweet Susan was more of like an interview with Sean Harris, which is totally interesting, but I don't consider that a trailer. Like, yeah. it's a totally different thing. Well, and it's also sort of like the thing, like what we think of as trailers, um, it's, it's similar to music videos. It wasn't until like a certain point, there was like an inflection point to where it's like all of a sudden these things became like something that was thought out and like designed. Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, adult movies, but a lot of movies from the 70s, whenever there's like a trailer to watch, it's literally just a random scene from the movie. But uh, all right. So let's move on to best production design. And uh, for this, like we're taking in like costuming, your your sets, even like your location. Yeah, just all of the visual elements that are going on that somebody put thought into. Okay. And then who do you have winning this? Okay. I am giving it to Sex World. Really? Yes. Specifically... Going off of our favorite conversation about our favorite scene of who was the set designer for Sex World. Like, it was true in that scene. It was true, like, the way oh, that yeah, they, yeah. they color-coordinated Ralph and Millicent's clothes with their room, which kind of showed, like, the dysfunction of their sexual and marital relationship. Um the costume choices of Lisa's nails and makeup and the wig and all of these different pieces. Like, there's so much thought put into every visual element that really says a lot about the characters and the, the bigger story going on. I have my own maybe stylistic preferences, aesthetic preferences, but from a production design perspective, I think whoever made all of those choices for Sex World like did a really fucking good job. Yeah, yeah, because of that, like, it made Anthony Spinelli, for me, a strong contender for Best Director, Mm -hmm. but uh, ultimately I didn't pick that. I took kind of an easy route, and I picked Dixie Ray. I put honorable mention to Dixie Ray. Yeah, 
I know throughout the episode, like I praise that that was some of the most interesting stuff about that movie mm-hmm. was just the production design and the fact that they could have very lazily, you know, just thrown in a couple of things to give it the appearance. But like they got like the cars, they made sure like the offices like looked period specific, the costumes, like even yeah. even the lingerie that the woman that the women wore in the movie, like it was it was more period specific. Yeah. And and again, like they had an easier time because they were going for something that was clearly established with the genre of uh, detective noir. But I mean, they did a good job. I really uh, respect the fact that they didn't like cut corners and try and cheap it out. They yeah. went all the way with it. Totally agree. Which reminds me of a hilarious review that I saw for Dixie Ray, which was just straight up. They did not need to do any of this. (laughs) Dixie Ray was made at the very end of the golden age of adult cinema, and people just wanted to see tits on a VHS, you know? Mm -hmm. They didn't need the, which I think is tragic and a poor reflection of our society. But yeah, people didn't need the flashy storytelling. They didn't need the, you know, commitment to an aesthetic. and They didn't have to get Cameron Mitchell, but they did. They did, and that... And also, they didn't tell them what kind of movie they were making. Which is a little scotch, not going to lie. Yeah. But yeah, two Spinelli films, all right? This is a thoughtful man who really gave a shit about what he was doing. Yeah, and I gave my honorable mention to uh, Bijou just because um, the visuals they created, knowing that they basically had a camera, their apartment, and then maybe a couple hundred dollars to spend on stuff. And yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah. The visuals on that are really mind-blowing. But even the stuff to where he's kind of like out on the street, like the way that that um, is done, like especially when he goes to to pay to get into the Bijou Club, um, there was a lot of stuff in there. It had a lot of character in the way that, um, if you remember the movie Seven, mm-hmm. like some of the stuff that was just meant to be like very grimy, like urban kind of feel, this went for that but it predates it, and then also it has a much, much, much smaller budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that deserves an honorable mention. Um, leads us into Best Cinematography. Which I'm given to Bijou. And I'm given to Bijou. Yeah, I mean, everything just everything that you just said is yeah. the answer to that. Um, it is honestly really impressive what they were able to do with the resources that they had. Also, I feel like there's a lot of individuality going on and a lot of like really creative choices like you had said Dixie Ray did a great job of creating that but like that is a world and a look that exists that they are are replicating you know Bijou I think is very unique and like very much just the mind of the man making it you know um there is so much interesting stuff going on with forced perspective. There's so much like weird psychedelic imagery. Like it is truly a beautiful film, like a visually striking film. Um, and the way that they use dance and physicality and all of that in it too, like all of these shots are really well composed and really well thought out. And it's just, it is an impressive movie, especially knowing the logistical challenges of it. Yeah, and, and also, too, to just stress that Bijou is very much a gay porn film, which neither of us are the target audience for it, but yet we have so much appreciation for mm-hmm. it because not only, not only does it do all these things visually beautifully, which is 
like what you want out of a film, um, any kind of film, animated, short film, whatever. You, you want the visuals to be something that sticks with you along with the story. Um, and to that end, it is a silent film. There's, well, there's one line of dialogue. But other than that, like there was no recorded dialogue for any of the characters. Um, but very clearly you understand the story that's going on because they're so well um, reinforced by the visuals. Like you've got a person who is going on a journey of sexual identity and expression and you're, you're getting that through the visuals. Um, you're getting that through the way that, uh, that he, he filmed and lensed everything. So definitely it's by far the best cinematography. And what makes it even more impressive is that it was made, what, just a year after Boys in the Sand? And Boys yeah. in the Sand was his first, like, it was his directorial debut. And there is, I mean, Boys in the Sand has some beautiful imagery as well, but there is a major jump in just the skills that he acquired in that time. Like, it is very impressive the way he evolved his craft. Yeah. Um, I want to also give an honorable mention, though, to Deep Throat. Um based off of all the conversations that we had about like the framing of it. Yes. Um, it is not as interesting in terms of cinematography as something like Bijou or something that's just generally a more kind of like artsy type of film. Um, but the way that they, you know, really make us kind of get to know the character through all of these wide shots, the way that we have close-ups on her face during sex scenes. Like there's just a lot of, humanizing choices there are a lot of um emotionally driven sexual moments um mm -hmm. and i think that those things hit the way that they do because of the the way that the camera is placed and yeah. the things that they choose to focus on and i think a lot of that is due to um damiano's you know uh feminist approach to filmmaking to where i'm, I'm i know we said it on that episode and several times throughout but it is his approach was to go more of the female gaze rather than the typical male gaze that everyone expects from porn now. Mm -hmm. um, so that made everything interesting and distinct. But also, like he wasn't just doing it because he was trying to be contrarian. He was doing it because that's genuinely what he was interested in. Mm -hmm. We discussed like what his origins were. So um, yeah, uh, one other. This is more kind of production design, not necessarily cinematography, but there were things that uh, that were done in Star Virgin mm -hmm. that I thought was interesting and fun. Um, Flesh Gordon as well, but with both of those, it does kind of expose just the the lower um, the lower production budgets that they had. Like it kind of exposes, like it starts to show the seams of like. Well, they clearly had less to work with. They didn't have quite as many professionals on set, mm -hmm. but they did the best that they could with what they had. You know had. what? Now that you bring up Star Virgin, like, I totally agree. Um, I think that the way that that film is kind of set up through, like, a series of vignettes, and each vignette has a really distinct visual style, um, I think that is very interesting and fun, and they did do a good job of it. And even with the noticeably lower budget that that film had i think instead of that being a hindrance it just showed how creative the artistic yeah. designers were to make yeah ultimately like i think that's the thing that's really inspiring is like the amount of creativity that went into this because 
again, to go back to what you said about that review of Dixie Ray, they didn't have to do any of this, <laughs> but they wanted to. They yeah. did. So, uh, you know, hats off for that. Totally. All right. Next category is best screenplay. I think we're on the same page here. Yeah. The opening of Misty Beethoven. Opening of Misty Beethoven. And to be clear to everyone, uh, we, we came up with, with our nominees and winners uh, separately of each other. We discussed, we discussed what the categories were. But I didn't tell you what my uh, my nominees were going to be, and you didn't tell me. Um, and it very easily could have just been a clean sweep of Misty Beethoven across everything. But Misty Beethoven isn't the perfect film. It's just a really good film. Yeah, and that was something that we talked about, too, is like, you know, if we're just talking like, quote unquote, objectively, which obviously all art is subjective, but like... Misty Beethoven, technically speaking, is doing a lot of things very, very well. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to jive with each of us. You know, we both have our own subject matters that we're interested in. We both have our own, you know, visual styles that we're drawn to, performance styles that we tend to prefer, you know. Um, but Misty Beethoven, structurally, by far, is the best film and that was something that we talked about on the Misty Beethoven episode of it is so well made it is so smart and witty and fast paced there is an absolutely perfect balance of sex and story um, which is something that we come (laughs) back to over and over and over again and even some of my favorite movies don't do a good job with this you know we had all kinds of good shit to say about Dixie Ray, but the sex scenes are so awkward and shoehorned in. Yeah. You know, like it's a better Very movie than it is a porno. <laughs> um, R-rated movie that they're like, well, what if we just go ahead and film this and then slap an X rating on it? Um, yeah, screenplay, like that was the thing that stood out for me is like within the first five minutes of it. I was like, I love the way this dialogue is written. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so much more than that. The other thing that I said, too, uh, was just that it felt like something that you would write. and it's like very flattering. <laughs> yeah. For anybody that's familiar with your writing style, like I think they're going to appreciate that, that fun, quirky, fast-paced, funny dialogue. And this just has that in loads. But it also, like, it goes beyond just having, like, a bunch of kind of, like, quippy dialogue between characters. It does a really great job of delivering exposition Mm -hmm. so that again like the way that the film scenes the sex scenes are diegetic to the story your exposition like it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb Mm -hmm. a particular highlight is the scene where they're doing the kind of oceans 11 of like how she's going to seduce um the uh is it the art dealer played by casey donovan Um, which was so fun to see yeah yeah and and just the way that they did that to one have a have a girl on girl sex scene in it, which like you don't think about it, but it's sort of like how do we build this around having this scene in there? And that's mm-hmm. exactly what they did, and they made it really uh, natural and seamless. But also just like it builds it builds some anticipation for the audience of just like okay, they're showing like how this is gonna go without any hitches, but how's it actually gonna work out when she when she does it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really love that, and then just also like. The little scenes of people on the street going like, that, did you hear about Misty Beethoven? Yeah, that was my favorite part of it. It reminded me of like a best in show kind of style of humor. Yeah. Um, and just all these kind of quirky characters having their own like weird opinions. And, and also just taking, taking a play that is about something completely different and then readapting it and um, 
doing like a reiteration on it mm-hmm. that just works so well and for, feels very fresh you yeah. know it doesn't feel like it doesn't you know i mean i know we didn't say like original screenplay versus adapted screenplay here we're just talking about the script itself but the fact that it feels very much like an original piece because it has unique enough characters and unique enough story that it almost just more feels like it was inspired by something yeah you know so i that's mean like, cool I, I think most people that weren't already familiar with My Fair Lady and Pygmalion, like if they watched this, it, it wouldn't dawn on them that this is based on something else. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, wow, that's a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. And then if you tell them later, they're like, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, now I get it. Now I understand. Yeah. Um, best story? Best story, I am going to give it to... I'm tied with Touch Me on Deep Throat. And I would actually give both of those kind of an honorable mention for screenplay. Obviously, neither one is as tight as Misty Beethoven, which is why it didn't go to that. Um, Touch Me is such a really intelligent, thoughtful, emotional piece. Um, It's about a group of people kind of working through their sexual hangups, exploring their relationship to sex and the way that their own issues and life experience um, manifest through physical desire, which I think is just super interesting. Um, Those are topics that I am very interested in exploring both in my personal life um, as I continue to kind of work through some of my own stuff. Um, It's also something that I I like to explore in writing. And I feel like it's something that we constantly talk about with all of the films that we've talked about on Vibe Talking. You know, what emotionally, character-wise, is going on in this sex scene. And I feel like Touch Me is just such a perfect epitome of all of that. Um, And I think it's a ballsy choice for a pornographic film to be talking about sex in a way that isn't really that sexy that's very painful and introspective so i think that's such an amazing film and deep throat i feel like the story as goofy as it is which that in and of itself is a cool thing because it helped the film to appeal to all kinds of different people it helped to invite audiences in that wouldn't traditionally be a part of something like that um And I feel like Deep Throat also, you know, it has amazing snappy comedic writing and it, uh, it uses comedy to talk about some very, you know, more serious subject matter, which I think is really cool and smart and innovative. Um, and the, the subject matter of Deep Throat does resonate with me. And I think a lot of people, a lot of women trying to figure out, you know, how do I prioritize my own sexual desire? How do I get to the root of what works for me? And how do I, you know, make the bold choice to seek out what I want instead of settling for what's around me? So I think all of those are great story beats to be hitting. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people overlook um, just with this specific, you know, period of time. But also, it, it's not every single film because definitely there were a lot of films that are, you know, just older versions of what we have now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the fact that you would have these stories that would go into like, well, what, what does like the experience of having sex like mean for someone? And like, you know, instead of just focusing on like what we think our target demographic, like what they're going to um, uh, relate to, let's, let's try and get like some more like slightly outside perspectives because when it comes to having sex, like, you've got a man and a woman. 
So like, why would we just throw away the experiences of the woman? Let's, let's, let's bring those to light because you're going to find out that like what you think you don't relate to, you actually do relate to. And I can mm-hmm. say that as a man, like, like seeing that, that stuff and just having an understanding of just like, yeah, like if it was just solely focused on exactly what I would want, what I want, like it's going to ultimately come off feeling empty. So that makes these like worth discussing. So for my uh, nominees, I wanted to cheat on this one again and say Orgasmo. <laughs> just because with Orgasmo, when I went and rewatched it the most recent time when we discussed it, the thing that really stood out for me was how well it kind of just did all of the same kind of story beats that you might typically get out of like a Marvel like superhero origin story. But it was almost like predicting like how to perfectly like satirize all of that stuff. And at the heart of it, like it very easily could have just been something of like Mormons are idiots and like what if a Mormon had to do porn? Wouldn't that look stupid? Haha, ha, what a joke. But like instead like humanized a character mm-hmm. that is a ridiculous premise to start with. And I really loved it for that. And then there were just like all these like little things that would like come up to where you see him going from like being reluctant about what he's doing and who he is to like fully embracing it. And they did it in, you know, for as ridiculous a film as it is, they did it in a pretty naturalistic way. But ultimately the winner is Touch Me. You know, very clearly when we when we talked about it on our episode and even before that, when we did a discussion of it, uh, it was a film that really spoke to me. And it was a film that really opened my eyes to what this genre actually could be and why it is something that has been preserved and was like such a sensation at the time. Taking human beings and instead of just being like, hey, look at their flesh and like, doesn't that do something for you? And saying like, you know, hear their experiences and like understand. And and specifically like the thing that I said about Touch Me was that it was very clear throughout the movie that Anthony Spinelli was communicating to the audience. Mm -hmm. And he was saying like, have you ever thought about how you feel about this? Have you ever thought about what this means to you and why it is that you feel this way or you can't express this sort of thing? And to do that successfully, it's extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the thing that really sticks with me from that is uh, George Buck Flowers character. What What was his name in the movie? Harry. Harry. He stands up and like he gets humiliated in front of the entire group. And it's a, it's a deeply humanizing moment. And it's just kind of like expressing like everybody has insecurities. And it's a matter of like how those insecurities govern and control like how you express yourself, especially when it comes to something as sensitive as sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really powerful to me. And like we talked about how problematic the whole art scene was. Um, But even that, like, taking both sides of it and saying, like, why did you treat me like this? And then the other person saying, like, well, I did it like this because, like, it's all this frustration. And then to have fucking greatest character in the fucking world, Dr. Dale, just be Wait, like, Dr. Davis. <laughs> Dr. Davis. Why do I keep calling him Dr. Dale? Because it's a horrible character in the sex world. Yeah, Dale. Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks a lot, Spinelli. But yeah, having Dr. Davis, like, say specifically, not just to the character, but to the audience, like, hey, you got a real problem, and uh, you probably need to see somebody about that. Uh, Make sure you do. Like, he says it twice in the film, right? don't forget to see that therapist, which is, like, one of the funniest lines of that whole movie. And to have that come from such a fucked up scenario is just, like, absolutely wild. Yeah. But I love it. 
He's basically like, you don't want to get canceled, do you? <laughs> yeah, I love Dr. Davis. All right, where's screenplay? I actually feel like I'm going to give it to Disco Lady. Oh. Because I feel like Disco Lady could have been so fun and so hot. And literally the writing is just so, so it's so slopped together. Like it feels like someone wrote this in like a night. Fuck, we're filming this tomorrow. We built an awesome set. This movie has really good production design too. It's just a fucking vibe. On a $700 know? budget. Which is awesome. Yeah. So it's like they had all these ideas. They had their actors. They had the location. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, we they didn't write a movie. They had a mattress and a storage room. Which is really all you need, to be honest. <laughs> it's not like the script for this movie is so fucking bad. Like, you know, but it's, it's so just not good. And I'm like, what? happen here like it's so nothing that it feels like absolutely zero effort was put into this which bothers me see i almost wanted to say disco lady uh as a troll for best story because <laughs> the fucking ending to that movie is so batshit insane and so out of left field it blows me away hey i feel like disco lady could have been good which if you listen to the disco lady episode we both pitch how it could have been a better movie we do indeed. which is a very interesting conversation we did that a few times because we even did that with with a movie that we both really love, Sex World, but definitely like we were like, hey, here's some flaws, here's how mm -hmm. you could fix this, and who knows, maybe an intrepid filmmaker uh, could go on to remake that and make the most incredible film. That would honestly be sick. I support that. I had as my worst screenplay, Please Don't Eat My Mother. If you rewind back about 15 minutes and listen to all the praise that I heaped on uh, Missy Beethoven, it's the exact opposite for Please Don't Eat My Mother. <laughs> The dialogue was fucking terrible. The way that they did and didn't explain things was, it was frustrating. Just, it was not a good time. It, no. Like, a good movie always starts with a good screenplay, and so a terrible movie always starts with a terrible screenplay. My theory... You can turn a terrible screenplay into a good movie, but mm -hmm. they did not do that. My theory for this movie was that someone just literally just wanted to do an adaptation of Little Shop of Horrors, and then at the last minute, they couldn't get funding unless it was an adult film, so they randomly tried to make it one. <laughs> really, And that the lead actor was like, I am absolutely not getting naked Which on camera. Which is an absolutely just bizarre choice. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good movie. Little Shop is fucking hot as shit, and there's a lot that could be done with it. But yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't. And, and, and just to really stress and be, be clear, like we did in the episode, the little shop we're referring to is the, what, 1968 Roger Corman? That is what Please Don't Eat My Mother is based on. Yeah, yeah, because um, the, the, they had not made the Broadway play, like, none of that had come back. Mm -hmm. It's so fucking weird. It, I, I still, to this day, don't get it. Yeah, wild. The Roger Corman one actually is kind of funny. Like, it's obviously super old school and low budget, but there's enough in it that, like, I get why multiple people have wanted to adapt it. Like, yeah. there's something cool at the core of it. Um, it's an enjoyable film. If you really love uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the musical version from 87, 86, sure. with uh, Rick Moranis, definitely it'd be, it'd be worth it to check out uh, the, the Roger Corman original and just kind of understand... Because that's another movie, too, that, like, a little bit more budget and a little bit more care, a little bit more time. It mm -hmm. could have been really great. Yeah. But it is pretty good for what it is. Yeah. Worst story? Worst story. Um, we're on the same page that Deep yeah. Throat 2 is just a fucking shit show. 
If you're listening, like, send us an email right now, vibetalking at gmail.com, and explain the fucking plot of Deep Throat 2. Dude, we've seen it multiple times. We've talked about it for several hours, and I still could not tell you what the premise of that movie is. It's like, trying wild. to type it out. Like, how many times do you, like, type something out, and you're like, fuck, backspace, backspace, like, keep backing up to, like, you know, redo it. Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. It reminds me of... You know, the SNL character, Stefan, and he's on the weekend update and he's like, oh, pitching yeah, all the, yeah, pitching the different clubs and stuff. I feel like that's what Deep Throat is like. No, like cohesive narrative. It's just like this movie has it all. Spies, Russians, Italians, espionage, costumes, breasts. A Harry super Williams. weapon? Everything that you would want from a movie. Incest? <laughs> we don't want that. I don't want that in a movie. Fucking garbage. <laughs> a supercomputer that also one of the characters might be sexually attracted to. A mind reading government program. Yeah. I'm about to be kink shamed for my thoughts. One of the weirdest things was discovering that the plot of Deep Throat 2 was somewhat connected to Watergate. Like just that is the, the so storyline of, of Watergate. So which I guess is kind of interesting, but would you really it didn't want to work? Make... You know, Joe Sarno like made it. I don't know. It's it's so weird too because they took the Deep Throat name, which extremely iconic even then, and they were like, yeah, but what if we like took all the sex out of it? That's the worst part of the movie. Yeah. So it it deserves. It deserves to get uh, some shade. Yeah. All right. So back to the good stuff. On a positive note. Yes. Best actor in a comedic role. I feel like this is so obvious. I feel like we're going to have the same answer. It's our boy. Harry Reeves. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Harry Reeves for Deep Throat and fucking everything else Harry Reeves has ever been in. Yes. and Even Deep Throat too. He's funny in that. He's ridiculous. He's not as good. He's doing his best. Yeah. He wasn't given the best material or direction. But I think yes. I described his performance as like he's constantly like on the verge of pissing his pants because he's got to go to the bathroom so bad. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They somehow made like one of the hottest fucking dudes ever unattractive because of his obnoxious performance. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about his great performances, which yes. he has many of, especially obviously Deep Throat, because um, he actually does some good dramatic, uh, dramatic acting as well, like yeah, Devil and Miss Jones, Sometimes, sometimes Sweet Susan. Susan. He has the he has the range. He really does. Um, but his comedic acting is just. A whole nother level. Um, he is so fun and funny. He has a theater background. He's pulling from like Commedia dell'arte tropes. He just commits with his entire body. Like not even sexually. I mean, yes, but like also like just the physicality of his characters, the um, just level of excitement and joy and enthusiasm in every single one of his performances. He is genuinely hysterical and so charming and so charismatic and just captivating every time he's on screen. I love him. And I think he's a really cool person. Um, I love his autobiography, Here Comes Harry Reams, and I would definitely recommend that everyone read it because I think he's a cool person who has, you know, interesting things to say about the industry and about film and about art and, yeah, he's great. Listen to some of his interviews. Like, he's a fucking cool guy. He's yeah, hilarious. super interesting guy. And, you know, very humble. Like, was willing to do a lot of different stuff. Um, 
I would say like the thing that really stood out for me in Deep Throat was the scene where he's explaining to Linda that her clitoris is is in the back of her throat. Best original story. <laughs> <laughs> and just the contrast in that scene of of her like uh, comedic overreaction to it where she's like, oh God, and like sobbing. And he's just like, he's like, no, dear. He's like, it's fine. He's like, you just have to, you know, you have to just get it all the way back there. He understands that it's an absurd premise, mm-hmm. but he also understands that to really sell the scene, like his character has to believe in what he's saying. He does it. There's so many like little facial expressions that he does throughout that movie. So funny. Yes. Best comedic actress. Oh, okay. This was a hard one to me because while I think everything about Deep Throat is funny and I do think that Linda Lovelace and Helen, Dolly Sharp. So yeah, both of them I think did did good performances um, and had their own kind of sense of humor to it. But I kind of feel like more of that came from the writing and direction as opposed to them being quote unquote comedic actors. So I am going to give this one to Jacqueline Biodant, who played Geraldine in Misty Beethoven. Okay. It's not as ridiculous as a character because the whole tone of Misty Beethoven is a little less farcical I guess but I think that she has really good comedic timing like the scene when um her and uh Jamie Gillis's character like run into each other at the fucking whorehouse and it's like oh hey what's up like it's just such a like she does such a good job writing that fine line between like the sexual thing that's going on here the comedic performance the like quote-unquote like you know, playing it straight sort of dynamic going on between these characters. So I think that's why I feel like she is a better comedic actress because I feel like a lot of those choices were coming from her and just like a natural ability to bring humor into a scene where there is humor written into it, but a lot of it is really coming from that performance. I took the easy route and I, I did Linda Lovelace and Deep Throat. Again, it's it's the absurd premise. It's like the very pornographic premise. Playing it straight and then like finding like the comedic moments, the comedic beats to hit mm-hmm. and then hitting those. She's not like an incredible actress. She doesn't have like the most natural delivery, but by the time she gets a deep throat too, like she has a much stronger understanding of here's how you deliver material and like do it for a comedic effect and everything. Unfortunately, she just didn't have the greatest material to work with. Mm-hmm. But the thing that stands out for me in, in Deep Throat was just when there was the fake rape scene. And, you know, just her kind of reaction of, like, you get that she understands, like, oh, this is what porn acting is. She's yes. like, I'm doing porn acting right now. And like, oh, no, I'll do it. Like, just her delivery on that. I was like, okay, she she understands what she's doing. Yeah, she understands the, the what this is. The scene you're referencing is when she's, like, playing out someone's fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can tell that the, the two characters are acting. And the actors are playing like actors, like which is always fun to watch. So yeah, agreed. Totally. But also agree. just like her interaction, like she had really good chemistry with Harry Reams, and mm-hmm. you have to, to to have like good comedic chemistry. Like you have to have that intuition and instincts in you. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's props for that. Totally. Best uh, dramatic actor. I went with John Leslie in Dixie Ray. So did I. But for some reason in my notes, I wrote down Sex World. I don't know why I wrote that. Um, I mean, John Leslie and Dixie Ray. His acting is... I mean, I think he's a good actor, so anything he's acting in is good, you know? But yeah. his character in Sex World is not good. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like he did what he had to do with it, but, but yeah, they didn't do him any favors. Yeah, he is a great actor, and we talked 
extensively about the acting in Dixie Ray. Like, literally every time we talk about Dixie Ray, I like it less as a porno and more as just a movie. Because the balance is not there. The sex scenes are bizarre. But the actual performances from all of the actors are fantastic. John Leslie is... I mean, and that's, you brought it up earlier that, like, you know, one of the performers didn't realize that this was a pornographic film, and that just goes to show that, like, everyone that he was doing scenes with was on par as an actor, that he would have never even made that assumption, you know? Like, John Leslie is so captivating on screen. I feel like he doesn't have a huge range, maybe, as an actor. Um, He kind of tends to play somewhat similar characters, um always kind of that like cocky douchebag but like sexy cool like type of guy you know but like for this role of being like a you know a crooked hard-boiled detective who's seen some shit like it's just perfect and he just every time you're watching him like it almost feels like you're watching like a like a Harrison Ford type he's awesome I really like John Leslie again it was kind of the easy choice to go with but I think his role um, as Papadopoulos in uh, Dixie Ray, like, I think that's just the proof that, like, this is a guy that if you would have given him other material, like, mainstream roles, mm-hmm. he could have easily done that. Totally. He could have had, like, a been on, like, a cop show. Mm-hmm. He could have totally done, like, a Starsky and Hutch sort of thing, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, I think he's, he's great. I also do want to give honorable mentions, though, to... You brought the scene up earlier, but... Um, Buck Flowers and Touch Me. Mm-hmm. That one was a little bit hard because I feel like everybody in that movie is doing a really great job. The material is really solid, but because it's such an ensemble cast, I think I didn't necessarily gravitate towards like one particular person of like, oh, that was the standout actor because it's really is a group number. But his moments were very powerful. And I, I feel like if we would have seen more of that character or seen him and taking lead roles in other films, I think he could have absolutely nailed it. I think that that talent is is absolutely there. Um, I also wanted to shout out Jack Wright, who played the role of Ralph in Sex World. That character is so dysfunctional and strange, and that relationship is so toxic and weird. And he just, you feel it and you buy it. And I think he nailed it. Tons of great performances in, uh, in Sex World. Uh, Jamie Gillis gets a, uh, a shout out for me, an honorable mention. It almost feels like he was so good at playing that character that it was just like a natural extension of like who he actually is in real life. Mm-hmm. He understood what the material was, like he did exactly what he needed to do. If there would have been more moments to kind of like highlight him, being offbeat of like what he was throughout the film... Mm-hmm. That that might have pushed him over John Leslie. You know what though, I and I, I'm glad you bring it up because I forgot to mention it earlier. But I had put um, Jamie Gillis as a honorable mention comedic actor for Misty Beethoven. Yeah, maybe that's part of it is that he was so great in that role, but it kind of went back and forth between comedic and dramatic. So it was like John Leslie is hard drama, Harry Reams is hard comedy. Jamie Gillis was very just kind of very realistic like there were some dramatic moments there were some comedic moments but ultimately very grounded which absolutely does show that he is a talented actor but less noticeable less flashy yeah. performance also this is stupid but <laughs> honorable mention for kevin thompson who did the voice of mentor the robot in star virgin i put him <laughs> as an honorable mention comedic actor going back a minute but he was so funny and just so fucking weird. And you could tell he was just having fun doing it, you know? Yeah. But okay, back to dramatic, uh, dramatic actress. It's a real toss-up for me between Georgina Spelvin and Devil and Miss Jones and Lisa DeLiu in Dixie Ray. 
she is so great at the fucking just campy, like, over the top. Well, I never in my life, mm-hmm. like, no one walks away from me. Yes. Those moments are, are so strong, and I really wish that, like, there was a better script for her and that character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Georgina Spelvin, it's just really interesting to watch an actress go from playing depressed and suicidal to um, confused and scared to aroused and uh, vulnerable um, to manic. Like there's so many like different like it was it was such a meaty role like written for an actress. Mm -hmm. So I think just the fact that she crushed it. Yeah, that puts her over the top for me. I definitely feel like it was so close between the two of them. Honestly, I had the exact same response. I ended up giving it to Lisa DeLeo in Dixie Ray and doing honorable mention to Georgina Spelvin in Devil and Miss Jones. Um, agree with every single thing that you just said. I personally just love the camp and the big performances. Dixie Ray feels like a fucking Tennessee Williams character, and that is my jam. So I love that performance. I I really, really like that. So I went to that. Um, so yes, next would be the honorable mention to Georgina Spelvin, who is an incredible actor. And then also I wanted to shout out Kay Parker, who plays Millicent, and Sharon Thorpe, who plays Lisa in Sex World. Yeah. Lisa, in particular, is a really interesting character. And while the acting is a little more... Like, I guess, subtle. Um, I feel like what's going on with that character is so interesting and she makes it captivating. And then Millicent is, I mentioned Ralph earlier, the two of them are a couple. Their whole relationship is so bizarre and like they play off of each other so well. So I wish that we, maybe we could have had a category for like best like on screen chemistry or something because I feel like Ralph and Millicent, like, it's our show. It's we right can do there. We so, okay, now we do have that category and they won it. Because that's what I was going to say is both of them, I think, did a great job performing but it's like without the other one it's not as interesting you know like john leslie on his own carries that role he doesn't have to be playing off of anybody he's just nailing it same with harry reams you know even though they their co-stars are also great but the ralph and millicent dynamic is so fucking crazy and powerful and good so all right (laughs) yeah and and i think i think lisa is one of the most interesting characters and all the stuff that we've done so honorable mention for that for both the character and for the actress. Mm-hmm. I, I think, if anything, like our main complaint with Sex World was just like, you got too many characters in this. You mm-hmm. need to focus this more on your most interesting characters. Yeah, I agree. Would have been cool to see what could have been done with that. All right, do we have any other like uh, honorable mentions or special categories we want to throw out there? I'm good. Okay. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to roll on to our big, big, big categories. So we've got best Director. I am going Anthony Spinelli. Ooh, four. Just across the board. I'm giving it across the board. Okay, so and, the, the lifetime achievement yes, best director. Yes. All right. Um, I was I was much more focused in. So but this mm-hmm. is good because I think I think when we don't have the same ones that, that gives us a lot to cover. The reason I say that is because overall big picture the subject matter that Anthony Spinelli continues to explore is to me the most interesting and thought provoking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he has a lot of range as a director, like, you know, sex world and touch me are these really like emotional character ensemble, introspective type of pieces. And then we have Dixie Ray. That's just like a fun, spicy, you know, film noir, big budget, but he rocks both of them. 
you know he knows how to do a bigger like quote-unquote more mainstream sort of film he knows how to do like a weird little indie project um and he makes both equally captivating i think that he is a really good director uh in terms of working with actors because you know while john leslie and lisa deliu are both just talented individuals um spinelli definitely had a very specific style of acting that he wanted in dixie ray and i'm assuming he kind of coached that out of them or at least conveyed his vision so effectively that it came out in their performance uh he does a great job working with ensemble casts which is challenging and while we both agree that there's things that could have been trimmed out of sex world i think that he developed so many characters so well which is very impressive and something like touch me you know it's super offbeat and strange and heavy and not at all what you would think of as a adult film but it was so moving to both of us and i feel like you can kind of sense that a lot of the performers in that movie are maybe not as experienced um actors and they still did an incredible job and i think part of that comes from him being a great team leader and having such a strong vision that everybody could get on board and bring it to life. So I think Anthony Spinelli is just a very impressive person. I agree with you on all of that. Like I was I was looking into like uh Anthony Spinelli's filmography to just kind of remind myself of like everything that he's done that we would have watched. There's so many interesting things that he did in Sex World, Dixie Ray, and especially Touch Me. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think Touch Me like definitely holds a special place in both of our hearts. Uh, I ultimately gave it to Radley Metzger because I was just so impressed by Misty Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Just, it's a solid, solid film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it starts with a solid screenplay, but <clears throat> you need to have good direction to to get something to go from being just... A decent film, an above average film, to being like a great film. And that direction is there. Um, the performers, they were all on the right page. Um, you know, with uh, Geraldine's character, you know, that's something to where a lesser director could have overlooked that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to just understand of like, hey, it's a matter of like not being the person who's in charge of the cast, but being a collaborator with everybody in your cast and everybody Very on true. your production team. And it definitely feels like with that, that was there. With Anthony Spinelli, he's really interesting because I feel like he is able to take his actors and get them to find the humanizing moments within their scene and with their dialogue and everything. And to bring that to this genre of film makes it super, super interesting. But overall, if I'm just looking at like, what was the movie that stood out to me as just the best performed, the, like everything was done exactly the way that it needed to be done. It was it was Misty Beethoven, hands down. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to make it obvious like what my best picture is. I want to, before we get to that though, give another shout out, honorable mention to Gerard Damiano. Oh yeah. Um, the reason why he was not my number one pick is just because I think structurally his work has a lot of issues he has kind of even joked about it himself that he has a hard time with like wrapping up a film and you know bringing everything together in the third act which to me in all of his fantastic movies I'm always a little disappointed with the conclusion of them Um, I love his characters I love his concepts I think that he does 
a really great job of balancing, like we talked about with Deep Throat, like, you know, really heartfelt, like genuine topics, you know, that are worth exploring, but doing that through a very stylized lens that makes it just fun to watch. Um, and I think he does have a really good range in terms of um, comedy and drama. You know, Miss Aggie, Devil and Miss Jones are two very, very dark pieces, but mm-hmm. incredibly interesting, thoughtful, solid characters. Um, great performances. I think Damiano does a really good job, too, of, like, picking performers and, like, putting a team together, choosing really strong players, um, and building those relationships over time to where he can keep bringing back these awesome, awesome people, you know? Yeah. So definitely want to give shout-outs to Damiano as well. And I also, similarly with Spinelli, um, I like the topics that he explores. I like that he does touch on heavier stuff, and I like that he... Um, comes at it from this kind of female-centric lens, I think is really interesting. Um, and I think that you can tell that he is kind of working through things through his work, um, which is something that I resonate with a lot as a, a writer and a performer. Um, so, yeah, definitely props to, to Damiano, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, because overall, like, pretty much all of the all of the directors that we've we've studied their work on this show... Um, you know, Spinelli, Damiano, for those reasons. I mean, with Damiano, just to go back to talking about highlighting um, Devil and Miss Jones and um, Memories Within Miss Aggie, um, the fact that those are dark films, but like specifically, those are from the female perspective. It would have been so much easier to just go with something of like, oh, um, here's a depraved like serial killer um, and we'll kind of like analyze like his sex crimes. Like, that would have been like the easy smutty way to do it. And I think that really highlights like the difference between like what elevates this and makes it actual film and not just, you know, pornographic smut. Like pornographic smut would be focused on like, oh, what's going to turn on the audience and allow them to get sexual gratification from watching this. Whereas like Spinelli, um, Damiano, uh, Radley Metzger, and uh, I also want to highlight Wakefield Poole and Bob Chin. Um, the fact that they look at this material and they're just like, well, we can say something interesting with this, but at the same time, make it hot for people watching. Um, you know, that's something that is really incredible. And especially with Wakefield pool to do it to where it goes beyond just like, well, this is meant for a gay male audience, but like literally anybody can watch this and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I think even when it was released, it wasn't something to where it's just like, oh, this is just for the gays. This is for everybody. That was really incredible. Yeah, same way that Damiano was really trying to bring in... I mean, I get, yeah, like you said, all of these people, but, like, a lot of the films that tend to be these, like, standout things were things that did have that crossover appeal. Damiano wanted couples to come see it, you know, versus just single guys. Like, he wanted people who don't normally watch this type of film to open themselves up and, you know, try watching things. Deep Throat was crazy having the, like, you know, different social classes, having different, you know genders different sexualities like all kinds of different people could find something in it and yeah like you said i think all of those directors did that in their work so that's cool that's cool to have something that so many different people can connect to it shows that the core of that thing is something worth saying you know yeah i mean there was a reason why it, it went mainstream and it had celebrities of the time talking about it like johnny carson discussing that on his show like the biggest show at the time yeah there's a lot of like really incredible stuff that was achieved 
So on to best picture. Guess what I'm gonna say. Opening of Missy Beethoven. No, it's not. Really? <laughs> Deep throat? No. <laughs> Sex world? No. Touch me. Yes. Wow. Okay. And okay, so I'm gonna just say like my personal favorite film is Deep Throat. Yeah. I've watched it the most times out of all of these films. I recommend it to everybody. I just my personal preference is I love Deep Throat as a film. But for some of the stuff I brought up earlier, like there's reasons why I don't think it's the quote unquote best film. Like the end of that movie and like the last third of that movie just kind of goes off the rails. So I can love it and have things about it that I think could be improved. I really don't feel like there's anything about Touch Me that I think should be quote unquote better. I agree with you completely that Misty Beethoven, and I even said it on the Misty Beethoven episode that that was like probably the best, like most well-made, tightest, structured movie, you know, but as we've been talking more about Touch Me, because I actually hadn't picked my answer going into this for best picture. Um, oh, really? And I've been this whole time kind of marinating on it. And the reason I am going to go with Touch Me is because, you know, while that and Deep Throat both really resonated with me emotionally, and especially with certain things in Touch Me, like there were moments where I was like, I am really feeling like heard right now, you know, which is cool. Touch Me was the first adult film that I ever like watched and it hugely influenced me I feel like but yeah, it hugely influenced the show totally um, I also though like just from the technical perspective of like best picture whatever you know like I think the only thing about touch me that's maybe less impressive about some of these other ones is that it's a lower budget kind of softer less exciting kind of movie I guess less sexy but for what it is, I think it's doing it perfectly. I think it's exactly what it's trying to be. I think it's it's exactly what it needs to be. And so I'm going to give that best movie. Missy Beethoven is my best picture. And it's for all the reasons that I've already said. But it's a great movie. <laughs> for the movie that I connected with the most that we've covered, it is Touch Me. You know, I said it at the time. And I, I think about Touch Me on a regular basis. Yeah. Like there'll be like just little things that'll just come up. And, and it'll remind me of Touch Me or... Something from Touch Me will just kind of come to the top of my mind. In a way that no other film that we discussed touched me, connected with me on just this whole other level. It was really unexpected and it was very, very interesting. And I really wish I could give it the best picture. It's just that instinctually when I think of like, what was the best movie that we watched? It was easily Misty Beethoven. Misty Beethoven was just solid. It was entertaining. It was funny. Like... I gave a shit about like what happened to the characters in the story. I wanted things to work out for everybody. Whereas like the most like human and like real to life movie that we watched has got to be Touch Me. Mm -hmm. And I think not too far behind it is is um, a film that doesn't get a lot of love from us, but sometimes Sweet Susan. Just because that's a movie that is about like how how sex can can not always be great and it can be very traumatizing. And, you know, just the fucked up way that people will use sex as a way to try and, like, deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. And deal with issues that are hard to address and, like, understand. So, like, in the same way that Touch Me is very, very human, sometimes Sweet Susan is very human in that way, too. And especially just Harry Reams, to, to heap more praise on him, the way that his character, you know, in, in lesser hands, that movie would have been about, like his character doing depraved things to a vulnerable woman. Mm -hmm. And instead, he's like, I want to help this girl. And everybody else is telling me that she's a lost cause. 
And I don't feel that she is. I want to understand what is going on with her. And I'm not going to explore her. I'm not going to take advantage of her. And um, just that whole kind of like exploration. And to do it under the guise of an adult film is a really interesting, somewhat bizarre choice. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does... It does ultimately have something profound to say. Um, and then just, you know, going back to touch me, just speaking to as many people as possible without feeling like it's ever talking down to you without ever being patronizing. Like Anthony Spinelli did an amazing job with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so do we want to get into our little uh, critical thinking questions? Let's do it. All right. So which film did you enjoy watching the most? Well, as we've been saying, touch me, deep throat, you know, the watching those two movies with you at the start of this whole thing was such a fun experience of just hanging out, watching it, having conversations about it, and then being like, wow, like, there's so much to this that, like, we got to do something with this, you know? That's yeah. really cool. Um, and Deep Throat is just a fun movie to watch it's a fun thing to have on in the background it's just you know it's just fun but I am also going to say Misty Beethoven um and not just I mean yes because it's a great movie like but that was our most recent episode and I think we had both been kind of feeling during some of our like mid episodes of like these conversations are not as interesting. These films are not as interesting. Like, you know, season one, it was like every single film, like there was a lot to say about it, you know? So I feel like when I was watching Misty Beethoven, it kind of like re-sparked like the flame of like, damn, like this shit is fucking good. Like there are conversations to be had. There's interesting stuff going on. And it's just a very funny, fast paced, entertaining film. Um, But yeah, it was, that was a really good one. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on everything that you said about Missy Beethoven. The answer that I put was Flesh Gordon, mm-hmm. um, just because I thought Flesh Gordon, <laughs> it's, it's like the, the, the neat little things that they kind of did surrounding the story. Um, the, the Ray Harryhausen, uh, creature effects that they did, the stop motion stuff. That was dope. Like that shit really impressed me. And like once I realized like this is a movie that was trying to have fun with its premise and like also trying to kind of push the boundaries of, you know, the of the the kind of like porn parody thing that they were doing. Um, you know, again, it, it goes back to the thing of like they didn't have to do all this, but they did, and I really appreciate that they did. And then also just for the fact that like knowing that they shot uh they shot triple X footage and that all was destroyed by LA Vice Cops and they still completed a film and, and made it. I thought that like that was really um, an interesting aspect of it. Uh, which film did you enjoy discussing the most? Okay, I'm gonna also tighten that of on the show because on a personal level, like I just said, the deep throat and touch me conversations were really meaningful, like personal conversations. Um, but I really enjoyed talking about sex world Mm -hmm. um i feel like that was a fun conversation to have interesting and fun you know because like with some of the other ones it's like oh this is heavy so it's like we're talking about interesting powerful stuff but like it's kind of a low energy you know but sex world was both powerful and just enjoyable so that was a fun conversation 
Star version was a very fun conversation just because that movie is so wild that it was just like we were cracking up thinking about it and talking about it. Um, and same with Disco Lady. Our Because Disco Lady was a film where the first time I saw it, I was so disappointed and didn't really like it. Um, and I really, for a long time, was like, I don't really like this movie. Um, and then when we watched it together, I was like, okay, this is kind of fun watching it. Um, and then once we started talking about it, like, both you know, ripping on it, both talking about the genuinely sexy, cool moments of the film and talking through how it could be better. Like those were all very interesting conversations. And then last one I want to mention is our memories within Miss Aggie conversation. Um, Cause similar to what I just said with um, Misty Beethoven, it had been a minute since we'd had a very deep introspective conversation about a film and Misty Beethoven, or I mean, uh, memories within Miss Aggie is all about trauma so mm -hmm. that was a a pretty gnarly conversation but I thought it was really cool personally because like I feel like my relationship to my own trauma has evolved a lot since we started this show so you know we were talking about certain things in the era of touch me which now you know a year later talking about Miss Aggie it's like those are issues that I am in a very different place with. And so it's like, we're having this really gnarly conversation, but just the way that I was feeling while having that conversation was so different. And so that is like really meaningful to me. Like the way that like this show has, you know, been such a huge piece of like my own like emotional journey. Yeah. Um, memories within Miss Aggie. <clears throat> I feel like low-key is one of our best episodes that we've done. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it was just, like, it's not that great of a film, and we, we heavily get into the flaws, but um, it did provide a lot of interesting material to discuss. The film that I enjoyed discussing the most is easily Star Version. That was so fun. Just, it's, it's, it's a wacky film. Um, it, it doesn't... It just states flat out, like, you don't need to take this serious. It's supposed to be fun. And to, to what you were talking about, like, when you talked about watching Deep Throat, Touch Me, Star Version, all the movies that we did watch together, like, those were better experiences because the films were meant to be watched in a social setting. And, yeah. and the, the party that you held for the, the Deep Throat watching, like, that just reinforces it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you sit down and watch these movies by yourself, it takes something as good as opening of Misty Beethoven to make it to where you can you can sit down and actually watch this by yourself mm -hmm. and not have the experience like lacking something. But Star Virgin and even Disco Lady, like those are movies absolutely that they're better when you're watching it with more people. Yeah. And like being able to just basically do a riff tracks on it, yeah. you know laugh about what's going on but also you know there's a good chance that as the movie goes on if you're there with somebody you know that you might you might start making out like you might start making moves um during the movie um but which is always a cool thing everybody's yeah. in support of that but but in terms of like just kind of like talking about it like after the fact and breaking it down um you know like star virgin was just 
mainly Star Virgin for me was just imitating Mentor in that little <laughs> robotic voice, you know. Which just... is why he gets an honorable mention for this comedic actor. <laughs> that performance was really good. Um, which film spoke to you the most? I feel like we're both going to have the same answer. Touch Me. Touch Me. Yeah. yeah. Um, that movie, like, to me, when I first, very first saw it, literally, I told you the story on the episode and we've just talked about it, but I'll just say it again. But, you know, I was literally like, okay, I'm going to watch something spicy tonight. Here we mm-hmm. go, you know. And I'm flipping through all these different things. And Little I'm like, did you know. I was like, oh, this feels awkward. This feels, like, dirty. Like, I was feeling so uncomfortable, you know. And then I put on touch me and like the whole thing of it is like oh you don't have to be like ashamed of this and like let's think about like why you feel the way that you feel about sex and I'm like yeah like I really need to be thinking of all these things you know and so like it was very like inviting to me and that watching that movie just made me like feel so like comfortable and like understood that I was like okay I want to explore more stuff in this genre and then Deep Throat I also want to mention because like as funny as it is um the core message of it was really important to me like I was going through a divorce and like I was for the first time in my life prioritizing my own needs or those type of needs or whatever, you know? So it was like, there was definitely a, it was a moment of like growth and empowerment for me. Like as I was reflecting upon like, well, what do I really want? Like, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to look like? What kind of sex and relationships am I trying to have? You know? And so watching a movie about a character who's on that journey, like really resonated with me. You know, touch me just, that was a realization of, you know, because with with Deep Throat, it was like, okay, you can you can make these movies interesting and fun and funny. Like you can have comedy in it and not have it like undercut um, what you're doing visually to arouse and stimulate people. But with Touch Me, just the fact that you know it it encourages the viewer to be introspective and ask questions. Mm-hmm. That was something that was really interesting because. It had just enough characters and tried to represent just enough different perspectives mm-hmm. so that, you know, a majority of people watching it could relate to, like, what's going on. And and think, like, walk out of the theater, you know, they might blow a load in the theater, but, like, walk out of the theater just thinking about stuff. And the, the interesting detail of you saying, like, yeah, it was, like, the first... Because I always, I always thought that just deep throat, like you went straight to deep throats and like you watch that when you're like eight and you're just like, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. But, but finding that out, I was just like, okay, I better understand you now knowing that detail that I, again, I just, in my daily life, I'll think about touch me. Um, which films inspired you the most? Um, okay. I mean, going back to the ones we keep bringing up, but I feel like Deep Throat really inspired me, uh, in terms of the vibe, the style, the ambiance. Um, those are all things that I heavily draw from, um, in my life and in my work. Um, I feel like that film also maybe kind of lines up the closest to me and my own style. I do like to talk about like heavier themes, but through like a very campy comedic lens. Um, so just seeing that it's like, this is very much like a example of like what I am working towards, you know, um, touch me definitely inspired me 
uh, with the deeper storytelling and the the heavier themes. Um, and those are definitely topics that like I have since watching it continued to reflect on in both my life and my work. And Misty Beethoven just being such a tight film really just kind of reinforced my um, both love of and confidence in the genre because I do want to make really fucking rad adult films. Like that is my ultimate goal. Um, and every time that we watch something, even films that we love, when we start talking about it, it's like, we love it. It was great, you know, but if only they'd done this, oh, if only it was like this, you know, and like, not that I was like doubting myself or being negative or anything like that, but I'm like, you know, I'm like, does the movie that I want to create like not even exist yet, you know, like, or the type of movie that I want to create. And so then watching Misty Beethoven, it's like, no, it totally can exist. You can have something with an absolutely perfect balance of sex and story. You can have something that is both hot and funny and, you know, emotionally engaging. So seeing how all of those things come together was just kind of a little nod to me of like, no, you're on the right path. Like you got this, you know? Yeah. Bijou is the most inspirational film that we watched just because as someone who writes and I've made stuff in the past and I want to make stuff in the future, um, the way that, the way that Wakefield pool, like definitely had something strong that he wanted to express and he didn't allow the limitations of the production to hold him back from doing that. So I, like, I find that incredibly inspirational mm -hmm. that, and then when you look at the actual story itself, like even though it doesn't like it doesn't relate to me in terms of like what my sexuality is and, and what my you know sexual interests are it doesn't matter because like at the core of it it is about a human like going out and exploring and and basically coming away with like you see them go from being an empty kind of like shell of a person to at the end they're just like yeah i've experienced life i've fucking lived and the way that that was undertaken uh, I think is something that definitely should be studied by anybody that's into film at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is uh, Boys in the Sand. Again, you know, a movie that doesn't speak to like my sexuality, but the idea, and I think we talked about this, of just saying like, I want to make something, I'm going to go out with my friends and we're, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And like, just, you feel that exuding through the film. It does oh, help right. too, because... When we watch it, it has um, it has the commentary from Wakefield Pool himself. That was really cool. But but understanding that, that that's that's the, the the center of the film. That's where everything came from. Mm -hmm. Was saying I wanted to make something. I don't know if it's going to be good or not. But I'm getting together with my friends and I'm doing it. And um, just that is something that is very heartwarming. You know, other other than that, like uh, Touch Me is is inspirational just in like terms of trying to find ways to say things. And, and doing it through the voices of different characters. Mm -hmm. That's that's inspirational. And then just someone like Gerard Demiano, who's like, I'm not in film school. Like, I just hear human stories all the time as a hairdresser. And then I want to, like, express these things for the rest of the world to enjoy. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm just as much inspired by these people as I am than the films themselves. Yeah. Which film would you recommend? If I could only recommend one. If you could only recommend one. Because <laughs> I feel like everything we've been talking about, it should go without saying that we recommend someone watching it. Um, 
If I can only recommend one. Gun to your head. You're on a desert island out in the middle of nowhere. Deep throat. Have a good time. <laughs> Deep throat. <laughs> the only reason that Deep Throat isn't the, the most recommended film for me is because of that damn straw scene. <laughs> I just can't get past that. Um, so for me, I would just say like, yeah, watch Misty Beethoven. There's a little bit of something for everybody in there. Very true. I mean, they peg a guy. They peg a guy in Misty Beethoven. How I can you like, not love that? I feel like a lot of people would not love that. Well, I mean, you're going to have to get over it, buddy, because there's a ton of blowjobs in there. Like, you can fast forward through that scene, I guess. You know what? And even though that is not my personal jam, I feel like it was such a good narrative payoff that I was, like, feeling it. Yeah, I was just, like, this is needed in the story. <laughs> like, the it really of is. It. The boldness yes, of it. I definitely respect that as well. Um, well... Uh, going back to like just kind of honor men honorable mentions sort of things, there were some movies that we watched uh, to potentially have on the show, but like they never actually got their own episodes and got discussed. Killer Condom, we did talk a lot about Killer Condom. I could probably make a a mini like episode oh, super cut cool. of that. Um, That's definitely worth watching. I mean, it's yeah. a little bit unrelated, but it definitely pays homage to the genre. And, and both versions of uh, Little Shop of Horrors, mm -hmm. I actually did make a super cut of that. Um, yeah, it's on YouTube cool. and also has its own little mini episode that you can check out. Um, Champagne for Breakfast, Matinee Idol. Uh, we, we watched those just to see if they would be worth discussing. Well, because they're two John Leslie films. So we're like, we like him. Let's watch some more of his stuff. But the movies themselves were not good, really. Yeah. Matinee Idol was kind of fun, but like not really a lot of substance to it. And Champagne for Breakfast is just like offensive and like insane. And like, I feel bad for John Leslie. Not worth watching at all. Don't watch that. Uh, that's why we don't have an episode about it. Yeah. And then uh, porn adjacent stuff. Um, X, uh, you and, and several other people, when X came out, like recommended that to mm -hmm. me. And I went and watched it because I thought, like, hey, maybe here's a film that. You know, in the future, could come up for this. Yeah. And then the um, prequel that they released, what, the next year? Pearl? Mm -hmm. And then now we have Maxine coming out at some point to be determined. Oh, it's turning into a whole cinematic universe. So, yeah, this one takes place after X. And yeah. it's kind of the vibe I'm getting is like the end of Boogie Nights. So, like, shit's on the decline and like things are getting a little bit dark, a little bit crazy, you know? Oh, yeah, that could be something really interesting is to make a whole horror film out of just that that one scene the the scene from uh from boogie nights mm. just extending that out into yeah. an entire movie you're talking about the um, fireworks right Fire yeah the fireworks, fireworks scene. yeah yeah um but but x to kind of give a, a brief little synopsis of that if nobody's ever heard of it or seen it but that is a movie where um it's a horror movie and it basically takes like the premise of like texas chainsaw massacre but what if all the victims were people that were on the farmhouse to shoot a porn movie? Mm -hmm. It's so, a really cool movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Some very inventive uh, death scenes in that. And then Pearl like takes, uh, takes one of the characters and uh, examines like how she became the killer in X. Mm -hmm. And then that was played by the same actress who was one of the, who was the la the final girl in X, right? Yeah. And so she's also going to be the lead in this uh, upcoming one as well, playing okay. the, reprising her role from X. But now it's like, how has fame affected that girl? You know. And I freaking, 
I know her name, but I can't think Mia of it. Mia Goth. Mia Goth. She's the actress. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. And Ty West is the director. Very talented people. Yeah. That's cool to see how, like, this genre is still relevant. I mean, we've talked extensively about how these films are still relevant in the way that, like, the um, kind of social and psychological themes and issues that they're examining, like, are very relatable to modern audiences, are still, like, issues in society that are worth thinking about, talking about, you know? So that's cool to see how they're relevant. But also, like, the... um, the aesthetic and the genre definitely still continue to be explored, you know, with this trilogy of films, like with the deuce on HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a podcast about that this morning. Getting yeah. That was, that. that was something that at one point I was like, should we maybe like just do, you know, an episode by episode or even like season by season breakdown of the deuce? Um, I feel like season by season, maybe episode by episode. Like, I okay. Ultimately, I like episode the by show. episode sounded like a lot of work. That's but a I was bit like, much. Season by season, or like now looking back at like the whole run of the show. That's a cool show because it's like each season is set kind of in a different era. Like they're like five years apart, if not a little bit more between them. And so it's like seeing how the industry evolved, you know, like which is interesting. Yeah. And it's just wild because, you know, with The Deuce and um, Pearl X and Maxine, it shows that, like, this this genre definitely has an influence over Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just with how familiar people are with the aesthetic, mm-hmm. um, it shows that it, it transcended the actual films themselves because there are so many people that... Like, they know of Deep Throat. They'll recognize the poster if they see it. Mm -hmm. They know what that sort of 70s porn aesthetic looks and feels like, even if they've literally never seen any of the movies. Um, But when you start to get into them and and break them down, investigate them, like, study and analyze them, like, like we have, it's really, really interesting. Because there's a lot of things that they do that... They're like, if this was just a typical like Hollywood mainstream movie, we would not have been able to do this. If we mm-hmm. were working under the studio system, there's no way we've been able to do some of this stuff. To have like worthwhile, um, long-lasting like human stories come out of it, I think is is something that definitely should inspire people to like check it out and explore. Absolutely. Yeah. That's about all I have for this. Um, congratulations to all of our awards winners. Um, you know, hit us up, vibetalkinggmail.com. Uh, if you want to uh, let us know where your award can be sent. <laughs> but uh, congratulations and hope nobody got their feelings hurt if they didn't win their award for their category. Yes, of course, because all of everyone deserves their participation. It was all in good fun. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, that's it for me. Same. Signing off. All right. Take care. Want to hear more? New episodes of Vibe Talking are available to download and stream every other Tuesday on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love to listen. You can see more Vibe Talking on the Good Vibe Cinema channel on YouTube and follow at Vibe Talking on Instagram, Threads, and the X-rated version of Twitter. Vibe Talking is a Good Vibe Cinema production.